Welcome back to another episode of the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have Basil Tahan with us on the line today. Basil, how are you doing, my friend? Doing great, John. Good morning. Nice to uh, nice to be with you this morning. Good morning. Good evening. We're time-traveling podcast guests, and I am uh, extremely excited to have you on today. Uh, can you give the uh, listeners a quick introduction to who you are? Sure. Um, I'm Basil Tehan. I am uh, an artist and photographer currently uh, living and working in Bangkok, Thailand. Very nice. Um, seems like there's a, an interesting way to start this off. Um, and that would be how long have you been doing photography? It's, it's, uh, it's a funny question because I can't actually remember um, how, well, I can't remember when I wasn't a photographer. I, I kind of mm. like grew up around art and photography. My dad was in advertising. Um, so I was always kind of, you know, I remember being chased around with uh, an eight millimeter video camera when I was super young and, <laughs> um, you know, grabbing it from dad and, and making video, um, still have some of that footage, which is kind of fun to see. That's awesome. But yeah. Yeah, forever, forever, I guess, is the answer. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Yeah, I, uh, I I have a very uh, reoccurring comment in my sincere, uh, I don't want to use the word depression, but, you know, I, I am, I do have a little bit of FOMO, the fact that I've only been doing photography full-time for a couple of years now. Um, it came to me later in life, but it is, without question, been the greatest gift, I think, that, uh, you know, my life has ever given me. Um, but talk to me about the early days, um, you know, high school, college, post-college, et cetera. Like what was sort of the starting point in your journey in, uh, in this field? Yeah. So, so I actually, um, I actually started professionally, uh, doing photography about 20 years ago. Um, and before that it was really just a hobby more than anything else, um, I, I really, I was kind of a, a logical kind of math minded person. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed the, you know, super low ISO, super high detail using a tripod shooting landscapes. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And, and just trying to, trying to do, you know, scientific style photography, which was just really clinical, um, you know, in the style of the F64 group, um, you know, just, just enjoying trying to use the the camera as a copy machine it wasn't really um until i started professionally that um i saw it more as you know a conceptual art form that's pretty cool um i know that you and i have had a conversation i would say like a month or so ago um around platinum palladium printing and uh, some of the stuff that you do in the dark room and such um, talk to me about mediums of photography and what draws you to one type of medium versus another, whether it's film, whether it's digital, um, and sort of how you've uncovered your photographic, uh, voice. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm pretty open-minded when it comes to photographic medium. Um, I, I think that each it's, it's a tool for the job, if you will. I think that, that digital certainly suits well for for some jobs and and analog is um for me more more aesthetically pleasing more beautiful more interesting to work with more varied um you know those those tiny surprises that you get when you work with analog um 
And I think that's really important that it's, you know, uh, a refinement to the point where analog isn't, it, it's not like, it's not random. It's certainly well controlled, but it's got that tiny bit of like um, uncertainty that's always interesting to me. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think my, yeah, my preference is, if I have the choice, my preference is to work, you know, 100% in analog. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do a lot of my work, almost all of my work actually is, is some sort of hybrid between um, digital processes and analog processes, including most of the platinum printing and, and large format film that I'm shooting. Um, I'm doing some sort of hybrid process with, with, the, pro- with the printing. See, that's pretty cool. I uh, It's funny. So, you know, commercial work, anything that I'm likely being paid for that's not like personal work, whether I'm doing like a print project for someone, um, is mostly done digitally. Um, and I, I really, really enjoy shooting street photography via film because there is that questionable unknown of what is going to transpire, right? You can perfectly execute, you know, exposing of a film photo and anything <laughs> can go wrong or go haywire light leaks etc and i think it's that not entirely being a hundred percent sure you captured the moment that really draws me um to shooting uh film photography for street um and it's one of those things that i think that as i do more street photography and documentary style work i'm drawn even further into the analog process because i think it, it requires me to slow down my process and be a lot more mindful of like what I'm actually seeing and what's going on. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's exactly right. And, and I, I believe that, that, um, you know, there's more than, there's more than just, you know, silver, silver halide crystals versus pixels. You know, it's, it's not, that doesn't really describe the difference between the two. It's something much more ethereal and, and tactile than that. I think that the, you know, the, the chemistry that's involved and, and, you know, the blooming that happens with, with, um, you know, the, the analog process that it just doesn't happen in digital. You get that real clinical, clinical feel, even, even on output. Um, it's very hard to, to get away from that real clinical feel to, to it. And I think street photography is a perfect example of, where that doesn't really work, you know, the mood of of street photography is that like real. You, you want to capture something human. You want to capture something um, emotional and real. Um, and I think that analog definitely suits suits better when you're trying to to do that. I agree. Yeah. I, I, no knock against any digital street photographers. Just to me, it just is too. I don't want to say too easy to do because some people make some incredible works of art via digital means. But to me, there's just like I can take a hundred photographs in four seconds and one of them is going to look good. You know what I mean? It's not there. There's no uh, tactile sort of um, thought process that goes there. You can very much spray and pray and <laughs> come out with something beautiful. Um, mm. And to that to that notion that, that like that you mentioned, you know, the, the, the soul that comes out of the photograph and film, I think whether you're shooting street or, or nude work like you do, um, there is something inherently, um, like beautiful. There is a softness in those types of images that are created via film that I think, again, when you're shooting digitally, they tend to come off a bit more, um, calculated a bit more cold, if, if that kind of makes sense. 
Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's perfect. I mean, I, I think clinical is the word that I use mostly. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's edgy. It's, it's hard edged. It's, um, yeah, the, there's, there's just less, less, um, yeah, less, less reality, less humanity, less, less, like the world isn't digital. The world is, is random. And, and, you know, the, the space between notes, if you will, um, of life have some noise. They have yeah. some, some organic fill. And, and with digital, there isn't any. Yeah. And imperfections. Yeah. Um, mm, exactly. So I've, uh, in preparation for the conversation today, I did a pretty deep dive into uh, your, your foundation work, um, NFTs, um, and, and through your Twitter. Um, and I, I find there is a, there's a hauntingly beautiful sort of story that you're able to tell in these black and white photographs. And I would just like to get some insight into what your process is like and, and what is like your um, your plan when you're trying to create these images that you've spent, you know, the last few years of your career sort of creating. Um, yeah, thanks, John. I mean, that, that, that really is, is nice of you to say um, because it, it really is part of what I'm shooting for. Um, you know, I'm a Buddhist and, and I think like a, a real deep part of the, the conceptual part of the, the images that I make um, draw from that understanding that, that the world is not an easy, life is not an easy thing and the world is not an easy place for humans to, to be. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this back and forth between pain and pleasure that we all bounce around in um, is is something that that's not easy it's something that that you know we we feel like uh, we're ch chasing these pleasing moments all the time but you know we're always disappointed and and we're always you know looking for the next thing even if it is nice we're looking for another another hit of that um and that's a big part of you know the conceptual nature of, of the work that i make mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm very happy happy that you see that um uh and and you know the first like i have i have a much larger you know body of work in mind that i'm that i'm working on um and those first four collections on foundation just represent the beginning of it um what we what i did was i, I kind of i've been traveling i've actually been out of the united states for almost 30 years now oh, wow. um yeah yeah so i i left the u.s right out of university um and i've i've lived in six different countries um, and visited probably close to a hundred. Um, and, and I think that's given me an insight into, you know, culture, cultures, and, and just the essence of humanity, like what it is that we all have in common as much as I've, I've enjoyed spending my life finding, um, new and interesting people and, and cultures and places. Um, you know, the thing that I think I've been able to glean from that is that just the essence of what it means to be human um, and the thing that we all share. Uh, and and that, that's kind of the, the basis for for my conceptual work in, in the foundation collections. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I've, I've just started with, you know, four of those things that are just most essential to who I am as a person um, and and what I think all humans share. So, you know, I worked in um you know the 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 pothos and himeros i think is a, a good example of 
you know, that whole thing about like deep desire, um, what that I just spoke of, you know, with, with the Buddhism and just that we all have that, that real deep longing for these things that happen to us in our lives that we either lose or that we don't have access to anymore. Um, and we get this feeling in the pit of our stomach that we just have to have to go back. Like, can't wait to get another, another piece of that. So I think that's something that every human experiences, whether it's food or a lost loved one, um, or, you know, an experience in like, for me, snowboarding does it like I live in Bangkok and like, I love nothing more than being in the, in snowy mountains, both, you know, to be there and experience that, you know, growing up in Florida, living in Thailand, um, the few times, you know, that in my life that I've been able to be in snowy mountains and snowboarding, um, I, I just, anytime I think of it, I get this really deep pit and uh, feeling in the pit of my stomach. That's like, I got to do that again. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that was the inspiration for that, that, that one collection, that Pothos and Himeros collection, but each one of those kind of has a story. Um, and moving forward, I think that's an, an endless supply. I heard Edward Bertinsky once talk about, you know, trying to find with photography, trying to find, you know, that project that you would never run out of ideas. And I think that, that for me, you know, this is, this is a good one. This is one that I think I could spend the rest of my life making, mm -hmm. um, and, and never run out of ideas. Oh, I love that. Um, Wow. Yeah. So what I what I found so interesting about that particular collection is that in the absence of color, the ability to like provide immense depth of story, right? Like so like when you're obviously a podcast is not the best fucking place to have a conversation about <laughs> photographs. Um, but, and I laugh cause it happens a lot. Um, but in, in, in images that are absence of color, I find that if you're able to provide like a very detailed sort of story or convey emotion via just black and white imagery, you really hit the nail on the head. And I mean, with all of your work, there is clear, um, story, there's clear emotion, there's clear what you're trying to impart upon the viewer in the in the work. And I think that's what makes it awfully inspiring for me as a fellow photographer. Um, and it's a, it's the way in which you can, you know, manipulate the human form and then like the architecture around them, whether they're in a field, whether they're in a building, whether they're, you know, whatever it might be, that is, to me, outstanding from a photographic perspective. Um, so when you go through the process of curating a collection like this, what goes through your mind as you're selecting images and creating images for a specific sort of um, collection like this? Yeah, yeah thanks, John. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that um, it's, it's definitely more front-end creation um, but it's not always, um, what I would say is that the, the locations certainly play a large role in the collaborative process. Um, the, the models that I work with play a very big role in the, in the collaborative process. Um, and then, you know, it, it, it is really, it's an organic process, um, more than a forced one. Mm -hmm. I, I like to be open open to so we're all on the same page with the story that we want to tell but but we don't really know you know what the light's going to be like what the location's going to present us um 
so yeah, it, like you said, it's hard without examples. Um, but if people were looking at the collection, I think there's um, there's an example in in Pothos and Himeros number four um, that we you know we showed up early in the morning. You know, we we set out before the sun rose um, and we climbed up into the into these hills. And as the sun rose, you know, the shadows just formed these these just beautiful curves and and contrasting lines. Um, and then the models that I were work, was working with that day, they're they're really close, and they they've been through some things, you know, together, um, where they're like really supportive of each other. So that all of those things kind of came together, me finding the place and the curves and the lines and the textures, and then you know showing them, okay, so here's here's what I'm seeing, and what I want to portray in this is a really deep sense of of empathy, this real deep sense of um, partnership through pain, partnership through grieving. Um, and then, you know, they they start, they get to work. So, and then I'll use a digital camera um, as a reference camera. Mm -hmm. And so we'll take a few reference shots with the digital camera, look at them together and kind of say, okay, like this this line, this curve is kind of a little bit, you know, too too close to the forms. Let's slide that around. And, you know, within three or four minutes, we have that composition and then I'll set up the, you know, the whole plate large format camera and, and capture that. So, yeah, I think that's kind of one example, but you know, each place plays out a little bit differently than that, but that, I think that's a pretty general um, a, a description of, of how things go. That's awesome. Um, one of the things that I've struggled with, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I'm only a couple of years into my journey, whereas, you know, you've got two decades plus, um, you know, in this, in this wonderful career that I've, I've stumbled into. Um, one of the things that I struggle mightily with is how I consider or am able to tangibly measure my success, right? Um, when I was working in corporate America for the last decade, um, success was very easy for me to sort of identify. It was namely, how did I measure against my coworkers? Um, you know, where was I in relation to my sales targets? Like there are definable, you know, ways to say whether I've been achieving the level of success that I wanted. Um, once I got to a creative industry and a creative career that is devoid of that, I at times struggle mightily with being able to identify what I would consider success. Um, so for you in throughout your career, how do you measure success and what do you look for as successful measurements of your career to date? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, and and I didn't I did I did like as you were as you were asking John I I, I did want to like flash back to um, that that description that you gave of the lack of color um, really portraying emotion. So if we mm -hmm. can go back to that yeah, at absolutely. some point, I'd love to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think the the idea of, of success for me it's it's um, I've been um, gosh fortunate and unfortunate in in the sense that my professional career has been as an art educator and art historian. Mm -hmm. So I don't have, I don't have that piece hanging over the work that I make. I don't, I don't have to be, um, I don't have to sell my work. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that has never been the measure of success. Um, and, and honestly, like when I come back from a shoot, the, the, 
the success is measured when I pull a print um, out of the developer and get goosebumps. Yeah. When I pull a print out of the developer and it moves me, um, and it happens often, man. Uh, it, it really is that that's the point at which I feel so satisfied and so whole, complete, like the 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 reason that I make art has has been been satisfied. I feel this, you know, deep, deep urge to make what I'm making. And then when I'm holding it in my hand, um, that circle gets completed. And I feel that I can uh, move on to something else. And I think that's probably for me, that's the biggest measure of success. That's very, so it's very self self. Yeah. It's very self self satisfying. I think that's a very beautiful sentiment and it ties nicely back into the idea of working in black and white and the emotion that you can convey with simple black and white images, because if you're pulling a black and white photograph out of the developer and it's giving you goosebumps, obviously I know that you've, been successful in capturing what you're hoping for um so talk to me about that yeah so so um and and we can talk as much as you'd like about platinum printing process but like i i started doing platinum printing about eight years ago and then i was lucky enough to with um pradeep mald and and mike ware so those those guys um really rewrote the platinum process in from a developing out process to a printing out process. It was actually something that was rediscovered um, from the mid 1800s, you know, mid 19th century. Um, there was a printing out a platinum printing out process, but it absolutely disappeared. Nobody was doing it. Um, and it was rediscovered by these guys in mid 80s, I believe. And and Mike Ware is a chemist. Um, Pradeep Mald is a is a photographer and um, university photography professor. Um, I think he's in Sewanee um, right now, still working. Um, but they they really worked for years to um, research and, and reinvent the, the platinum printing process. And I was lucky enough to connect with the two of them um, and help them a little bit. And, and they helped me um, I ended up with one of my prints and a, and a description of my work in their in their book that they just released less than a year ago. Um, it's called Platinotype. Wow. Um, and it's a yeah, it's a start to finish. It's in in regular bookstores. You'd be able to find it. Um, and they uh, yeah, they they pretty much start to finish wrote rewrote how how to how to work. You know, for me, it was like a, a huge influence on on wh why and, and how I do what I do. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that that's the printing out process is beautiful because you're, as it's being exposed to light, the, the print actually is appearing before your eyes. Um, we're, you know, using a, a split frame, um, contact printing frame, you're able to kind of lift it up and check and see that it's, it's where you want it to be. Um, and then you pull it out and you put it into the developer and, yeah, that that moment is just magical. And anybody that I teach, you know, I do I do platinum printing workshops. Anyone I teach, you can just see, you know, you, you can feel the excitement when they see their first print come out. Um, and the the you know the black and white, as we said, that that whole kind of emotionality and and real you know tactile feel to a black and white print um, with platinum 
is even enhanced even further as there's you know, there's nothing between our our human senses and the tonality. There's no plastic. There's no gelatin layer. Um, it's metal particles laying on top of cotton fiber. So so there's this real deep connection, like physical connection, between the person who's made the photograph or the viewer who's looking at the photograph, um, and that tonality that that really just conveys conveys the emotion. Yeah, it's 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 beautiful, and yeah. I really re- recommend and and you know encourage people even if even if it's something that you don't think you'll ever do, um, you know, go to galleries close by and and have a look at at platinum prints. Um, it might change the way you look at photography. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, I, I've got a, a cop out. I do steal a lot when I do these podcasts because to me, it's inspirational to have conversations with other artists um, and be able to look at their work and sensibly be able to sort of peer review stuff that I find incredible, right? And I think there is so much emotion and storytelling in your images and when you like take the color aspect out of it it's truly remarkable because it you're you're able to like detail a multi-dimensional story in two colors and i think just that's such like a beautiful wonderful really cool thing um and it leads into an additional question of mine which is what inspires you to create art and why do you create art yeah, I, I think with the black and white piece, um, it's so interesting because I, I, when I look at color imagery, I see subject first and composition second. And I think for black and white, um, that removal of color um, allows me to, to work in the reverse. I see emotional um, composition first, text, text, textures and, and contrast and tone and, and overall composition Um and then subjects after. Yeah. So I think that, that for me anyway, it just kind of reverses the way I look at images. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Inspiration, inspiration for me, I think I, I've, I've kind of already talked a little bit about that in, in the sense that it's, um, it's humanity, you know, it's, it's my re- connection with, with who I am, um, my place in the world, and, you know, I'm, I'm 53, John, so I don't know that someone who hasn't had, you know, the experiences I've had in life would, would completely understand, you know, how traveling the world, seeing everything from like extreme poverty to, to immense wealth um, side by side. Mm-hmm. But those people suffering the same, those people, you know, having the same joys and suffering regardless of, of place and, yeah. and position and socioeconomic status. And, um, and, and those are the things that like make me realize how lucky I am to wake up in the morning and have this beautiful thing that, that the universe has given, you know, that is consciousness, that mm. is vision, you know, that is like every moment of my day uh, is is uh, an experience that i embrace you know whether whether it's you know sitting in a dentist chair having my teeth drilled out you know <laughs> that's something that yeah honestly i'm saying that because i've got a mouthful of cotton right now um, <laughs> um yeah so like i think that that's something that i've you know learned how to say you know this is this is what it is to be alive you know this is what it is to experience and and we're as far as we know 
we're the only thing in the universe that has that, you know, we're, we're looking, but you know, we look around us and I think, you know, we're, we've been gifted this thing. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful sentiment. Um, something that I harp upon greatly, you know, many, many times on my podcast is like, you know, I'm 36. So could 25 year old John have learned the things that 35 year old John has learned? And I think the great equalizer in life is time, right? So like, as you're able to live more, you learn more. And I don't think that 25 year old John could have taken the life lessons that 34 and 35 year old John was meant to go through in order to like grow. Right. And Mm -hmm. as a 53 year old, you've seen 20 plus years more of life than I have. Right. So it all boils down to the context of what you get to experience and how those life moments impact you. Right. And I think that when you are able to boil down just the sheer, sheer improbability that you or I exist, right? Like one sperm out of 50 million and the cosmic possibilities of birth is like 400 billion to one or something insane. It's just truly remarkable that we're even merely alive. Yeah. I, I, I love that, John. I think it's, um, it is, I, I have to be careful when I, when I have conversations that I'm not putting myself above anybody else in, in the sense that I've had, these wonderful life experiences um and i'm i'm like you know you can call it lucky to be alive but at the same time like i'm that much closer to not having this anymore so like i i am jealous of of the youth (laughs) and what i would say yeah you know what i would say to to young people is it's really less about how old and i love that you referenced yourself in each one of those because that's all we could speak of Mm -hmm. um but it's more about experiences than time um you know, time allows us to have experiences, but someone, someone who's younger, who has had a lot of, you know, life experiences and opportunities, um, certainly could, could be in the same position that we are. Oh, for um, sure. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. And I just, I think that that's for me, never, I never want to come across as condescending. Oh no, because not at all. It's just, it's just, you know, place in life and, and, you know, what I've been able to see and experience that's allowed me to, to have these insights really. Yeah. Just no. luck. I don't get that impression mm-hmm. at all. Uh, fear not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I, I I look at it in context to to myself, right? And I and I often find myself in a completely different place from everybody I know and people that I've grown up with and friends and family, and that's totally okay. Like my life path is completely different from them. That makes me unique, right? I don't need to do everything that everyone else is doing. I'm, you know, marching to the beat of my own drum, so to speak. And I think that you mm-hmm. know, if you're able to sort of find the path or the calling that you're looking for in life, it can in a lot of ways be very freeing. You know, it is trauma traumatic and it is trying at times, but ultimately when you end up getting to the place where you're supposed to be, or at least following the signs and and the, the patterns that life is trying to give you, things tend to get easier, right? You, you relent yourself to like life and you just sort of like go with it. And, uh, and I think things can be better in, in that regard. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. I think that's, that's, that's exactly what I was getting at. Um, and yeah, it gets, it gets, um, it gets more, it, you just develop more understanding and, and appreciation. Through the, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And empathy. I mean, hopefully I yeah. think for me, that's <laughs> the one thing that the older I get, the more, the more emotional I get when I hear, you know, stories of people suffering things that I've already suffered and, have 
figured out how to deal with. You know, I just want to like hug them and say, hey, look, man, I I know how you're feeling. Believe me, I want to help you get through this. Yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm curious, how much of that empathy do you think you pull from your religion? Um, you know, we don't have to get too into the weeds and mm. in, in terms of your religion, mm. but it is a very forgiving, very understanding, um, you know, place. So I, I am curious how much of like that was learned um, versus perhaps innate. Yeah, um, I think it's probably a good mix of both for sure. Um, you know, it's it there. There's there's just that that real deep understanding that everybody has the same experience, and it's so easy um, when we have rough times to go inside ourselves and and feel like, why me? Mm-hmm. You know, why is this happening? Um, that's that's the that's the the natural reaction. Um, and I think through, through my studies, I've, you know, I've realized that it's just, everybody's the same and everybody has those same experiences. Um, and if you haven't yet, you will. Mm-hmm. So be ready, you know, like getting, um, you know, going through life is a painful thing. And, and, and the more joy you have, the more pain you're going to have. It's just the way of the world. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that for, for me, um, any anything that I can do to help other people, you know, suffer less is something that I want to do. You know, it's 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 not it's not difficult for me to do that. It's really easy for me to reach out to people and open myself to conversations. And um, yeah, that offering of, of help. I love that. Um, now, was 33 year old you like that? 33 year old me, um, that was a pretty big transitional time for me. Certainly 23 year old me was not that, um, yeah, not many. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I've, I've, I moved to Thailand 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I had studied, I had studied Buddhism before that. Um, but when I came here, you know, you're, you're surrounded by a culture that, um, they're not necessarily deeply practicing buddhists but Mm -hmm. the culture of the country certainly reflects those those ideas of um you know help helpfulness like embracing family um there's 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 really just no homelessness here because why would there be like if somebody's homeless then give them food you know like (laughs) it's pretty it's it's kind of a no-brainer you know if if um you know the the whole idea of um, you know, people surrounding themselves with other people who can help each other um, is just part of the culture. Um, you know, people don't set off on their own like we do. I'm an American, right? So the whole idea is to get out of your house as quickly as you can and set off on your own. Um, maybe that's gone the other direction a little bit lately. But um, yeah, I think that's that's one thing that when I came here, I'm like, oh, I see if everybody works together. Um then, you know, the bottom comes up a little bit. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, for sure. You know, it is uh, much more of an Eastern practice, I would say, right? I, you know, unfortunately, as an American and, and knowing what has transpired in this country over the last, call it six years, um, it is uh, <laughs> not necessarily trending in the right direction. And I think that is 
an unfortunate and sad reality of just the overall state of the world that that is mm-hmm. not commonplace anymore or you know it's much more uh singular minded singular focused and it's it's an unfortunate sort of reality that we've landed in as a species um you know i i i fear for the future i do i genuinely there is part of me that believes there is the likelihood that i'm sitting on the dock of the bay watching rome burn kind of a situation mm-hmm. um which would be an unfortunate um circumstance uh for sure um but i think that for the greater greater good the greater mankind um there is a severe lack of empathy and a severe lack of understanding that can be boiled down to like perhaps social media or any myriad of of external factors that have sort of eroded the the commonality um Mm -hmm. amongst people and it is a, a very sad reality because like you mentioned we all experience the same things in life and we're so wildly connected in, in so many different ways. And yet we focus on the two to four things that separate us and drive it further apart. Um, and it's an unfortunate sort of, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy where we found ourselves as a society, just drifting even further to our, you know, echo chambers. And, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't much seem like there's very, much light at the end of the tunnel, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great inspiration for art making, honestly. I think it's so uh, it's we're living it, we're in it. It's a huge like transitional period in human history. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Everybody's kind of seeing like this ain't the way it was 20 years ago. And you, you've, you've been around long enough to get that, mm-hmm. um, you know, that transition technology to this whole nother like social structure is, has changed since we were young. Yeah. Um, and we don't yet know what's going to happen. It's this double-edged sword that is this beautiful thing that connects us all. We're right now we're having a podcast because of technology. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it's, you know, just driving a stake between, between parts of society. And I, I think that's a beautiful inspiration. I think that there are artists who are, who are digging into that. Um, and, for me, it's it's a little bit too too far to one side of what I like to create, mm-hmm. and 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 I love that the the you know the the recognition that what I make is hauntingly beautiful. I think is where I'm like I think that's awesome. Is there has to be some hope to artwork for me to enjoy it? Yeah, I think that that you know there it's too easy to get into that blackness. And it's there. It's certainly there. I mean, the world is not a, a great place. Um, and there are artists. I think Sebastião Salgado experienced near death um, by making artwork in Rwanda. You know, he was he was shooting photographs of the genocide, and and he he started to die. Literally, he went to a doctor, and the doctor told him, "The reason you're dying is because you are so deeply." Um, connected with what it is that you're making in artistic um, space. Um, And, you know, other people, Diane Arbus had really struggled with mental health because she went into that dark place of, you know, the ugly side of humanity. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and Sylvia Plath and, you know, person after artist after artist that you can find who went there 
and did something really important to say, you know, this is this is dark and it, it, it consumed them. So I, I, I am so deeply connected with my artwork. You know, those those goosebumps that happen are real and I want them to be hopeful. I want them to be something that when I'm gone, my my platinum prints are hung somewhere and some someone has the same goosebumps that I had when when they when they see those or experience those. So oh, yeah. Man. Basil, I mean that is a wonderfully beautiful sentiment and I, I think unfortunately rather too uncommon in the world that we live in today. Um, man, that's, that's wonderful. I, I, I'm struck by that and that, that, that will sit with me because it is a wholly unselfish sort of, uh, thought and, and feeling when it, when you're articulating your own artwork in that way. And, and I, I think that's really beautiful. Um, when you consider that something like art is in, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? Um, if you've created an image that provides you goosebumps, that something that you, feel viscerally connected with but it doesn't necessarily connect with the audience at large does that do anything to your confidence does that do anything to uh stoke the the ideas of imposter syndrome does that does that have any effect on you um yeah i mean to be honest with you i i haven't i haven't really had the opportunity to to get enough feedback about my work to have experienced that oh um yeah i honestly like i have only had i've only had positive feedback when when people have have seen my work i have never i don't know if people are just too kind (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know if people are just too kind to tell me my work is shit or not but (laughs) well it's certainly not shit it's certainly not shit but you know that is very funny yeah (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, and, and, but, but I think, I think I can still speak to it and, and just say, um, that I'm not making it, I'm really not making it for other people. And, and I think that that, again, that really frees me up so much as, as in terms of being a creative person, when the, when the purpose of making art is to have self gratification, um, then I just tear it up and throw it in the garbage if it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, I don't put it out there, right? And and if it does work and it gives me those, you know, that feeling of elation, then it's done. And and I, I'll share it. And and if people like it or don't like it, um, it's um, it doesn't affect me. It really doesn't. And 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 I'm not I'm not demeaning that that like real sense because I'm an ed, an art educator. And I get it like deeply how important um, how important feedback is for for artists um, because I do it constantly every day all day yeah and I have to do it very carefully because my goal is to create as many lifelong artists as I can as I can create and stomping on people is is not the way to to create lifelong artists you know they can yeah. you can end a career you can end a career. Yeah, and people can just say, "I'm not good at this. I'm done." You know. 
You know what? I, I think anyone who steps into this sort of realm and, and this career path is a bit of a masochist in that regard. Mm, um, but absolutely. I, but I do think that there, you know, that old Spider-Man quote, with great power comes great responsibility. And as a teacher, it is incumbent upon you to sort of create a safe space to be able to provide necessary feedback but not negative feedback for the sake of negative feedback right and i think you know having yeah, done it for yeah. a, a number of years i'm sure you're very inept at or apt mm. was it inept apt mm. apt at doing yep, that. yeah i like that yeah that's <laughs> yeah. a cool word yeah <laughs> um you know one of the things that i was struck by when i was reviewing your work is how whether it was in an individual collection or the overarching sort of uh, theme and story with your work. It's like very linear, right? And like, I feel like you're, you're very good at being able to provide, uh, context and story to images. And to me, I nerd out on that kind of stuff. Like I like being able to feel something when I look at an image, but as an artist myself, I do struggle with being able to come up with the stories that I'm trying to tell. Right. For a lot of years, I was a writer and it was very easy for me to tell stories because I could put pen to paper and write the things that I'm thinking and feeling. But when I'm working in, uh, you know, a, a stagnant, you know, non-moving image, it's hard for me to sometimes be able to convey the, the emotions that I'm trying to provide um, with my imagery. Um, so talk to me a little bit about how you're able to sort of man manufacture that in your work. Yeah. Uh, so you're really striking a chord here. Um, I, I believe that it is absolutely necessary for art to move people in order for it to be valuable in order for, in order for art really to, to exist at all. Um, it has to do something mm -hmm. and, and it has to have purpose and, and meaning. It doesn't need to be deep, but it needs to, it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. There, there needs to be some reaction from, from a viewer. Um, I, I, I think that there's such, there's so, so much variety, you know, from, you know, a Jason Pollock, um, painting, um, you know, through to a Gregory Crutzen, you know, photograph that's, that's like completely cinematic and, and storytelling in its nature to, to just visceral reaction. So I don't think that there's a right or wrong like level of storytelling. Um, and I, and I honestly, John, I, I think that, I think that if, if photographs are um, complex enough and good enough that, that in, that really embody the understanding of, of, of humanity, then they write their own story. Like we were doing a review space the other night and we looked at a Martin Parr photograph. Um, I'm not sure if you were in that space or not, but it, it's a Martin Parr photograph where it's just a beach scene, right? Like there's people sitting on the beach eating food and Martin Parr just like beautifully sees the light and sees the color and frames this thing up and shoots it. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's it's not until afterward that you recognize the really like complex deep um staged storytelling that's happening in that image and i don't believe that he does it consciously i think he's seeing it subconsciously um especially with street photography um there's you know there's this like stage in front of you mm -hmm. and you're trying to like put a you know a rectangle around parts of that stage that are that are visceral that mm -hmm. are that are like yeah and i think that that happens 
it has to happen subconsciously. It's too complex to to break it down. So yeah. like that's that's you know one part of photography where you know I'm more of the Gregory Crutzen style that I like to develop a, a story before I even think about picking up a camera, um, and then slowly work towards okay so you know am i going to use a still life to tell this story am i going to go and you know try and and find this story in the streets or am i going to you know try and use models to to create this for me um you know the work of jeff wall is so inspiring to me because he kind of works the same way he he makes his photographs with his mind's eye um you know by living life and really just being open to the experience of going through his daily life and he sees things and he's like, Ooh, that would make a good photo. And then from there, the process begins like restaging it, finding locations, um, models, deciding whether he's using artificial light or natural light. And that whole process of, I have now a story and I'm going to create a photo. So I think that there's like so many ways to come at that, um, that storytelling piece, but, you know, an empty story is a short poem and it's Ooh. like fine, but it's not going to last. It's not like a piece of work that every time I walk by, I want to stop and look at it. And I think that the, you know, the, you can, I think you can judge a photograph by how long somebody else is willing to stand in front of it. Huh, I agree. With you that. know, if you can, yeah, if you can get them to move closer um, and look at detail and then back up and contemplate and fold their arms and tilt their head. I think you've done your job, you know, whatever it is that they're thinking, you've engaged them in, in something. And I think those are the photographs that are really valuable. I agree with that. Um, and I, and I think of, uh, for me, if I'm doing like, let's for argument's sake, talk about street photography, if I'm doing street photography, what's fun is that like, when I look back on work that I produced like six months ago, eight months ago, I could see exactly where I was in my journey from a mental perspective, because I can see what I was experimenting with. Was I shooting color? Was I shooting black and white? Was I shooting at night? Am I shooting people alone? Am I shooting couples? And a lot of those things come back to you and flood you with the emotions that you're feeling when you're in that moment. Um, and that's something that I, I like. I enjoy being able to look back on stuff that I've created and think like, oh, I remember why I took this photo and what I was feeling when I did it. Um, and then you hope that that is conveyed via the photograph and someone can feel those emotions that you were trying to put into the image when you created it in the first place. Mm, yeah, that's super cool. And and I wonder like when you're when you're doing that and you're trying to create, it seems to me like one one image would have to be, you know, like Henry Cartier-Bresson level for people to go, oh my God, this is good as a street photograph. Where in, in street photography, it seems like you you need to stay with this idea. Couples, I think, is a great example. Um you know, you need a body of, of work in order for people to understand, ah, I see, I get it. Whereas if you just shoot one, it kind of looks like a snapshot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then as soon as you put a body of work together of that, I think Omar just did a, you know, dads in New York City, mm -hmm. any one of which, you know, you look at those photographs and just kind of go, oh, okay, you know, it's like I could have shot that. Yeah. It's just a, a dad with his kid. But then the whole body of work comes together and you recognize, you know, this, like what he's saying and, and, and it's a beautiful thing. Like, you know, that relationship with, with parents and their kids in the city. Um, so yeah, 
Yeah, yeah it's that's, funny. That's it's funny cool. you mentioned couples because like I, I've been compiling a lot of my street photos and trying to drop them into buckets, right? So like whether like I, I I have one considered like singular, right? When it's like a single person in an image and like they're the main component of the composition. I've got a couples folder. I do shoot. I I subconscious or unconsciously am drawn to shooting couples, right? Like I like the concept of people being in love and being happy and what that emotion does to me. And then I convey that via my camera. It's, it's funny that you mentioned that because like I have been sort of compiling those types of images because I, I am, I start noticing that over a couple year period, I'm drawn to sim- creating similar images within the context of a couple of, of a single person of etc right and you know you can I can draw a, a straight line from things that I've gone through in my personal life or my working life that have drawn me to those sort of images or creation process in in photography and, and I think that's you know probably why I'm so obsessed with it in general <laughs> yeah I think that's awesome and 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 like being able to to curate after the fact, right? So like it's, you're drawn towards something, you're not sure why, and you're, you know, you're shooting for a year and you're just in the city and you're, if you just go looking for couples, it's going to take a long time to do that. So you don't, you go out and you're just looking at light Mm -hmm. and you're looking at juxtaposition and relationships. And then you end up with this body of work that you can go through and curate. And I love that. I think that's so much fun. Um, And look at things that I might've missed. Yeah. Right. That are like, oh, that's actually a lot better than I thought it was, you know, five years ago. It's funny. A lot um, of a lot of my yeah. favorite photos that I've made are ones that I've immediately dismissed when I first looked at them. Right. Like, so, like, you know, every time you get a rollback and I scan my own film and I'm going through them, I like dump them into two buckets when I, I when I like I'm file handling them. One is like the immediate love and then the others are just the other files. And very recently mm-hmm. I was going through like, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of folders of scans and negatives and i was like fuck these are some of these are not bad like i I dismiss them Mm. immediately and then when you go through it with a you know less sort of uh rude (laughs) self eye right (laughs) less critical sort of vision of yourself you like give yourself a little bit of space and empathy to be able to be less harsh on yourself and i found some images that i that i really love yeah i i think that's that's such a great a great exercise and and i think also like giving somebody else and feeling vulnerable enough to let someone else look through this you know you can do a quick curation of you know of of a body of work and then pass them along um amit and i have a really deep respect for one another and you know we'll do that often we'll throw up you know 20 or 30 images in a in a spatial gallery and then invite each other in and you know kind of just do a walk around with each other in a, in a spatial gallery another just incredible new technology that for me it has changed the way i can look at photographs um but yeah that 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 experience of kind of opening yourself to somebody else looking at work that you're not sure of um and 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 definitely having somebody who will tell you i mean it's just not working mm-hmm. i think is important too you don't want somebody who's just like oh this is all amazing that's just not helpful at all exactly um yeah but but getting another set of eyes on on things it's just amazing what he will see in my work that i didn't see and and vice versa it's it's really really useful that is great i've i've recently developed a a relationship i have a mentor and she has been paramount in curating my work and weeding out the weak stuff and building a body 
uh, and a portfolio that I'm incredibly proud of. And were it not for that sort of collaborative effort with her, I don't know that I'd be able to be gaining the steam that I'm gaining in my career and doing some of the things that I'm doing. And uh, were it not for that sort of process that you just mentioned, I wouldn't be able to have grown as much as I have in, in, in just the last few months in general. It's It's been very, mm. very, very rewarding. Um, yeah, I, I think anybody anybody who's aspiring to become a better photographer, um, yeah, that doesn't recognize the value in that. And finding somebody, one, who you can connect with on a, on a human level, that relationship is super important. Um, and two, somebody who's willing to really just give you you know, a straight, a straight response to your work. I think it's so valuable. So crucial. Absolutely. I couldn't possibly agree more. Um, I like to spend the last bit of every podcast doing a little bit of a Q and a, some of them are very easy. Some of them are a little bit more in depth. Um, but my first question for you is what is your favorite movie? Oh, um, oh my gosh. Um, I guess you know I will. Ha- I'll, I'll, there, there's so many. Um, Give me a couple. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. So, so from sci-fi genre, I think I would have to go with um, Star Wars. Um, from horror, uh, Kubrick's The Shining. Mm. Um, from from drama, I loved Gosford Park. Oh. Um, yeah, that was that was this class structure was incredible. Um, I actually love a movie called Babel. Um, I've seen it. You know, have you seen it? Yeah, yeah Brad Pitt, it's, right? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. just like that. Um, I'm actually making a body of work called Babel right now because that movie was just like this idea that humans don't communicate very well, mm-hmm. and as soon as we add, you know language and technology and culture the, those things were were just so beautiful beautifully done you know, with the deaf child and the and the moroccan language you know arabic language and english language it was just Great that movie. movie i just loved it yeah mm-hmm. so good um yeah that's a short list anyway but okay. i could go on forever on those i love film <laughs> me too I, I watch pretty much everything um what's your favorite food uh pizza Nice. That's an easy one. Is that? Yeah, it's not good for me, but I can eat pizza. I, if I order pizza, I eat the whole thing, John. So that's <laughs> a, a bit of a problem. <laughs> Out of curiosity, I would imagine that's not the easiest thing to get in Thailand. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, we have Pizza Hut, Domino's Pizza, all really bad pizza. Um, <laughs> well, but, now, uh, you know, now the, I understand why you could eat the yeah. whole thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, the craft pizza places are popping up. So yeah, I mean, like a, a nice uh, spinach and feta cheese pizza Ooh. is right up my alley. Yeah, good stuff. Nice. What is your favorite book? Favorite book? More um, books. Yeah, I I love Zarkovsky's Hundred Photographs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that one that one moved me and and changed the way that I work. Um. Gosh, early, early, early um, influences on me were just so much philosophy that I read when I was in university. Um, I was really into into philosophy. So um, Tao Te Ching changed my life in terms of reading books on philosophy. I think that one, that one probably be at the top of the list. Okay. Do you believe in an afterlife? I don't. 
Yeah, um, very, very scientific, um, logical, star, stardust. Interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, you are in the minority on on podcast guests that don't think there's that thinks there's nothing after. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that um, sort of like oddly re- like make you feel a little bit better knowing that most people that I have on think there is something after? Because <laughs> it has it has yeah. been for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm an atheist and and Buddhist and I I find that um, there's just no evidence to me that there's anything beyond what what um, you know. There's the spiritual. Um, I believe that there is you know something ethereal. But I just don't believe in in the fact that there's a soul that exists beyond our beyond our physical realm. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I don't agree. Um, my basis is not, you know, sort of covered by say religion or anything like that. I think just the when you look at the just sheer cosmic improbability for existence to happen, and there not have been some sort of you know, divine intervention, fucking whatever code, whether we're in a simulation, who the hell knows? Um, I just think like when, when in, in the grand scheme of just the sheer improbability of existence and me and you having a conversation <laughs> via fucking computer in 2022, it's just like there's got to be something mm. later. I don't know what it is. I don't know who it is. I don't know how it is. I don't, you know, I don't think I'm going to be partying in the sky with my family, you know, who knows, but mm. it, it just the, mm-hmm. the likelihood is there has, you know, the, the hope is that there is something, you know, I can, I'm, yeah. I'm sure yeah, open I think to it's, it. It's, <laughs> it. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I, I, I hope I'm wrong, John. Yeah. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> what gives you confidence? Um, I think confidence comes from um, relationships with other people. Yeah, I think feedback feedback from loved ones and and peers I think is the thing that gives me the most confidence. You know, when you're when you when you do something or say something and and someone reacts to it in a positive way, I think that gives gives me the most confidence. I like that. Um, what's the best piece of advice someone's ever given you? Um, I think it would have to be, you know, it, it's, it's so common and it'll sound cliche, but just be true to yourself, mm. um, was one thing that, that my, my father would always, you know, he, he would always say, um, you know, as hard as it might be, um, if you, if you feel a certain way, um, or, or, you know, you do something that you, you think is right. Um, then don't let, don't let other, other people, you know, influence how you're, how you're going to move forward. Like be, be really introspective. Um, and do the thing that that is right for for you and who you are yeah don't don't be influenced yeah by by people who might be steering you the right way or the wrong way but at the end of the day you've got to be true to yourself yeah yeah i like that i i'm a i'm a big proponent of don't worry about the wreckage of the future right like we can Mm -hmm. worry ourselves to death and worry about the outcome of any number of things in life and if 
you spend your days worrying about something that hasn't even come to pass yet, it's not exactly the most wonderful way to live. And uh, it's a motto mm-hmm. that I've implemented tremendously throughout my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the yeah, end of the day, awesome. yeah, you got to just do what makes you happy and try to live your best self and best life as possible. We have such a short amount of time here, um, for sure. Um, last question, mm-hmm. give me a recommendation for something that you've recently consumed. Uh, it could be a podcast, a movie, a TV show, a book, just something that you've recently watched or consumed that you'd like everyone to check out. Um, yeah, I, I would, I would say that, the. um, Brief Encounters movie. If if you if you haven't seen that, or if anybody listening hasn't seen that, um, is it is just from I've watched it ten times, and every statement from beginning to end. It's an hour long, and it's the story of Gregory Crutzen's kind of life and how and why he makes artwork. Um, and I think it's been the most influential thing that I've consumed in in a very long time. Nice. I'm. Uh... Adding that up next as we as we speak, um, it's incredible. I, I recently consumed Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix due to the recommendation oh, yes. of uh, Jess Licata. Um, she was on my podcast a couple weeks ago, and I ran right through it. It was so wonderful. It was just such mm-hmm. a nice little treat of a show, and it's super short and uh, quite enjoyable. and And I really, really had a good time uh, consuming that. Uh, basically, mm, I love the fact that there's. 10 minute episodes yeah. and they're just like so packed with like, Oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> I need you know, honestly, like I, so I know short form is slowly taking over the world, which, you know, we can have an entire podcast on that in general. Um, but I mm-hmm. do fully agree with you. If you're able to tell an actual full story in 10 minutes, like that is wonderful mm-hmm. storytelling. And I think there is something to be said for people who for 20 minutes or less can gain your attention articulate a story and deliver from start to finish. And I find that just so wildly wonderful. Um, yeah, I was just a big fan of it completely. Um, mm. Basil, I'm so incredibly thankful that uh, you were able to come on the podcast with me tonight. Um, so, so very much enjoyed our conversation. Um, and it was just such a such a treat to have you on. I, I really am so wonderfully thankful that you gave me your hour this morning for you and this night for me. Um, I have a very cheesy line. If you've been on my podcast, you're part of my family. So thank you for, for giving you my time. And um, yeah, just thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you, John. I, I am very, very lucky to have come across you. Um, I know this is the beginning of a much, much longer relationship and, and getting to know you and, and sharing. You have so much to teach me, and um, I, I appreciate the time that you've given me today. But I know it's just the beginning, and, and we'll be sharing a lot more in the future. So I appreciate that, John. Oh, thanks so much. That means the world to me, Basil. Thanks so much.